where we're returning next week, Lord willing, to our series on Joshua, which we were looking at before uh, Advent series. And so, but this morning, I would like us to do our, our yearly New Year's resolution sermon with a little bit of twist this year. You'll still find a graphic in your bulletin, Lord willing, that I would ask and encourage you to make use of this year. Put it in your Bible, tape it to your ta- dashboard, put it somewhere in your house, and, and join together uh, with me as we pray this year that the Lord would bring revival not only to our hearts and to our church, but to our community at large, that the Lord would do a, a mighty work uh, in, in our midst. We're going to be looking at several different passages this morning, but I first want to start with Isaiah 55, and we're going to skip around a little bit. So we're going to start with 55 verses 1 through 3. Hear now the word of the Lord. Come, everyone who thirsts, come to the waters. And he who has no money, come, buy and eat. Come, buy wine and milk without money and without price. Why do you spend your money for that which is not bread and your labor for that which is not satisfy? Listen, listen diligently to me and eat what is good and delight yourselves in rich food. Let's skip down to verse six. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call upon him while he is near. Let the wicked forsake his way and the unrighteous man his thoughts. Let him return to the Lord that he may have compassion on him and to our God for he will abundantly pardon. For my thoughts are not your thoughts, neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. For as the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than yours, and my thoughts than your thoughts. For as the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty, but it shall accomplish that which I purpose." and shall succeed in the thing for which I have sent it. Let's pray. Father, we do thank you for your word, and we pray that your spirit would work through your word this morning, and that you begin to work in our hearts, and our church, and our community, revival for your glory and the building up of your kingdom. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Well, in the 1730s and 1740s, something um, peculiar unique, special, different began to happen. Ministers across this land had been preaching the word and leading people to the Lord the whole time. That's what the church is meant to do. But suddenly, it seemed like it was happening more often. People who knew the Lord suddenly had a deeper relationship with the Lord. Those who thought they had known the Lord but weren't really believers came to know Jesus. And people who had nothing to do with the Lord, nothing to do with the church, suddenly began filling the pews. And the Lord started to do an amazing thing in the American colonies. Looking back, we look at this period in the 1730s and 1740s as the first great awakening Indeed, by the time the revolutionary hit, revolution hit, we can say that America was more or less a Christian nation, but in many ways it was because of the Spirit's work in the first great awakening, in the 1730s, 1740s. The ministers had sort of been praying the Lord would do a, good, a mighty work, as ministers do. They had certainly been preaching the word effectively and, and faithfully, as we are called to do. But suddenly the Spirit showed up in a new measure, 
It was the same thing that had been happening. The people were coming to know the Lord and people were drawing closer to the Lord, but suddenly it was happening in a greater measure. This is what we call revival. Revival isn't something different. Instead, it's more of the same. It's more of the same in a greater measure, in an exceptional manner, where people come to know the Lord in greater numbers. Where people as a whole begin to turn back to the Lord after having wandered away. When those who know the Lord begin to walk more deeply with Him. There was a congregational minister, a reformed congregational minister by the name, by the name of Jonathan Edwards. Perhaps you've heard of him. And he wrote a, a pamphlet, a rather long pamphlet with a rather long name to uh, defend and explain what was going on. My sermons do not have this long of a name. The distinguishing marks of a work of the Spirit of God applied to that uncommon operation that has lately appeared on the minds of the people of New England. Brevity was not his strong suit. Uh, but great revival hit and he sought fit he needed to explain what it was. Well, this morning I've taken some of these marks, these distinguishing characteristics of revival and I've, I've tweaked them a bit. Uh, we talked about them briefly Wednesday night and the newsletter article uh, spoke of them. This morning I want us to look at four elements of revival and, and ask you, especially this year in a, in a persistent, fervent way, that we would pray together looking for these four distinguishing marks of revival. In many ways, these are the symptoms of the revival and not the cause of it. But let's pray that the Lord would do a mighty work in our midst. The first mark that we see in revival is a greater love for the Word of God. The Spirit is always the source of true revival. Always. We cannot produce it. We can plan programs and pray the Lord would use them, and he does by his grace and by his good pleasure. But it is the Spirit alone who works in the hearts of men. But his main tool, his main weapon for tearing away our stony, cold hearts is the very Word of God. The Spirit uses the Word of God to take those who are in rebellion to the Lord and calls them submit to submit to the Lordship of Christ. It is a spirit who uses the word to transform rebels into worshipers. In revival, the Lord sends forth his word. And as our text from Isaiah 55 says, So shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty. Or as the King James, I believe, says, void. See, just as the water comes, we've had plenty of that, haven't we? Jennings Park, I hadn't seen it, but I imagine it's pretty green. It's had plenty of, of water, hasn't it? My backyard, I, I've said I will not, I will not mow my backyard in the middle of the winter. But you know it needs it. <laughs> Why? Because there's been plenty of water. The water has come and it has watered the ground and it has sprung forth. And so when the word goes out, it accomplishes its purpose of taking uh, the, the very word of God, the spirit applies it to our hearts and causes revival to happen. God promises that his word is effective. So the center of any great revival in our hearts personally, and that in our community, and that in our church, and that across our land, is a greater love for the word. With it comes a conviction that it is true. Chrissy and I recently went to um, Books a Million in Montgomery over our Christmas holiday. And uh, Books a Million has a lot of books, as the title might suggest. 
Um, but you know, as, as you browse the, 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 the shelves of Books a Millions, you'll see fanciful works of fiction. You'll find uh, non, non-fiction historical works. That's my favorite part. You'll see books about other cultures and even other religions. But you know, of all of those books, there's just one book that has truth about the Lord Jesus Christ. Just one. Out of all of those books, only one is the Word of God. Now what convinces us out of all these books that the Bible is the Word of God, His mind in print, His letter to us, what in the world could convince us? Certainly the beauty of the Psalms commends us to believe it is the very Word of God. Surely the fact that it does not contradict itself, that it is coherent, shows us it is the word of God. But in the end, the only thing that will ever convince us that the Bible is true is the inward work of the Holy Spirit. It's the only thing that will happen. only thing that will convince us that the Bible is true is the, is the work of the Spirit. With it, with this greater love for the word comes a new understanding as we talked about this Wednesday night uh, downstairs in our fellowship hall. I invite you, if you haven't been to that in a while, to come this week. We'll, Lord willing, be starting our new series on hospitality. Um, we were talking about what it would look like in our lives for revival. And, one, and someone said it would just jump off the page to us. Passages that, that we've always seen would suddenly be bolded, it would seem like. We've never noticed them, but the Lord would use them and show us our sin. We'd have newer understanding. 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 11. It's, it's wrong in your handout. It says, first, chapter 3. It says, for, for who knows a person's thoughts except the spirit of that person, which is in him? So also no one comprehends the thoughts of God except the Spirit of God. So we must have the Spirit of God in order to understand the Word. And in times of revival, the Spirit invades our hearts, invades our lives, and suddenly we are convicted that it is true, we are convinced that it is relevant for us, and we have a dear love for the Word of God. We become indeed desperate for it. And as we gain a a deeper understanding of his word, as our time in the word seems more fruitful as the spirit works in us, the spirit uses it to convict us of our sin, assure us of God's love, and and to discover our duty to fellow man and the necessity of fellowship with others. Obscure passages suddenly seem clear to us and we desire to follow the word of God. But there's a desire to read it that comes in revival. Turn, if you will, to John chapter 6. John chapter 6 finds us in the place where it might be described as, as, as Jesus' plan for church growth. They were ready to make him king. He had just fed the 5,000, and they're following him. They desire another sign. They're about to take him away and, and to enthrone him. And so what does he say? Sure, that's great. Here are our plans. Here are our programs. He says, no. He says, you must eat my flesh and drink my blood if you're to have any part of me. Everybody's like, I don't even know what that means. And even if I do, I don't want to do that. And so, and so people, not just people on the fringes, but even his closer disciples, not the 12, but the, the fringe disciples, many of them started leaving him. And so we see in, in John chapter 6 a desperation from his disciples. After this, many of his disciples turned back and no longer walked with him. So Jesus said to the twelve, do you want to go his way as well? Simon Peter answered him, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. You have the words of eternal life. 
and revival, the Spirit causes within us a desperate desire to get to know the Lord through His Word. If we say we want to grow, if we say we want to become stronger believers, to have our faith nourished, nourished, we come to Him in the Word. New Year's a great time to start a, a new reading program, maybe a chapter day. Maybe if you want to do the, the, year, the Bible in two years or the Bible in a year, both plans are on the table outside the church office. It's a great time to return to the Lord. Well, with, with revival, not only comes a love, a greater love for the Word of God, but a diminished love for the world. We live as people in tension, don't we? We live in this world. We are called not to be um, inordinately in love with this world. Now, this world will always be with us, and we will always be with this world. God is going to remake it when he comes again, and we better get used to it, because we're going to be here forever, Uh, but it'll just be a little better. The fact is that we can't serve two masters, but oh, how we try. We can't serve two masters. See, as, as we grow in our love for the Word, as we grow in the love for the Lord, as we grow in the love for others, our love for this world begins to diminish. And some of those things which caused us um, great consternation because we're so obsessed with them or or great pleasure, even though they are things that may not glorify the Lord, these begin to lose their luster. They begin to lose their luster. You know, watching children, not even children, but you know when you get gifts for Christmas, they're nice and shiny when you get them, aren't they? And then about a week later, you're thinking, man, I want something else. I'm tired of this. It's lost its luster. See, when we begin to fall more in love with the Lord, we love the world just a little less. We can't serve two masters. Jesus tells us this. See, when when revival comes, there's a reprioritizing of even good things. Even good things, when they become a ruling thing, become a bad thing. There's a reprioritizing that happens in our lives when the, when the Spirit works from the inside out in our lives. Jonathan Edwards put it well. 1741, it's an old work, isn't it? The Spirit is at work amongst a people as to lessen men's esteem of the pleasures, profits, and honors of the world and to take off their hearts from an eager pursuit of these things and to engage them in a deep concern about a future state and eternal happiness which the gospel reveals. But you know, we can't fall out of love with something unless we fall in love with something else. When uh, I was in seminary, I, I'm not a good cook, okay? Uh, when, I, when I was in seminary, the first year I was a bachelor, I was dating Christy, and she would uh, often bring me supper at work at night, or you know, we'd eat together. But, but lunches, I was on my own. And uh, I was trying to do it cheap, and so I came up with this concoction, and I commend it to you although my wife does not. Uh, first, you take a box of rice the off-brand, that's the important part, and, uh, and, you know, and you simmer it in the pot like you're supposed to, and then, instead of putting the seasoning in, you put beans. Beans go in, that gives you some protein. And then a can of succotash, you know, the store-bought kind, or corn, either one. And you throw it in there, you let it simmer for a while. Now, growing up in my household, there was one thing that had to go into every meal, and do you know what it was? Italian salad dressing. If you've ever seen my big fat Greek wedding and Windex is used all the time, 
Italian salad dressing had similar status in my home growing up. And so instead of using the spices that come with the rice roni, you throw in the Italian salad dressing into this rice, bean, succotash, corn concoction, and you let it simmer for a little while. And so to serve it up, you put it in flour tortillas, and you eat it like that. Now let me tell you something. You can eat off of that pretty cheaply and for a long, long time. (laughs) But do you know when I got married, Suddenly, my bride helped redirect my culinary efforts and helped me with my lunch. And so I didn't have it for like a year. And then one week, she went out of town or one weekend and I decided to make it myself. Finally, I get to eat what I've always wanted to. And do you know when I made it? It was just as nasty as it sounds. (laughs) Because see, my affections had changed. I no longer loved it because I knew something better. When we grow tired of this world, it only comes because we grow more in love with the Lord. We see the things that are fleeting, these fleeting joys. They pale in comparison to who the Lord is and what he has done for us. Turn your eyes upon Jesus and look full in his wonderful face. And what? The things of this world will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and his grace. See, with with revival comes a, a greater love for his word and a diminished love for the world, but a greater love for God. A greater love for God. 1 John 4 makes it pretty clear that the only reason why we love God is because he first loved us. The only reason that we have responded in faith is because the Spirit enables us to, and he makes Jesus look lovely to vile, wretched sinners like us. That's the only way we'd ever turn to him. Paul is going to, in Ephesians 3, he's going to have this prayer, his main prayer for the Ephesian congregation. It's not that they would get their act together. It's not there wouldn't be any conflict in their church. It wouldn't be they'd start saving for retirement. It's not that they would raise their kids well. What is it? Is they would know God's love in an ever-increasing manner. Ephesians 3, 17 through 19. So that Christ may dwell in your hearts through faith, that you being rooted and grounded in love may have strength to comprehend with all the saints what is the breadth and length and height and depth and to know the love of Christ that surpasses knowledge that you may be filled with all the fullness of God. See, with revival comes a greater appreciation for our salvation as we see all the more the guilt and heinousness of our sin, the sin that we once treated flippantly we now take seriously. Sins that were minor, that we thought were minor, are seen in their real light. For as the word goes forth in our hearts, and we, we see our Savior in light of our sin, we value our salvation all the more, seeing that we could never save ourselves. There are not enough good works in this world to save bad people like me. It only comes because of our Savior at great cost laid down his life for us. As we ponder the humiliation that Christ went through as he was dragged before Pilate and the Jews and Herod. As we see in our mind's eye the blood dripping from his hands, his side, his feet, his back, his brow. Whilst the third thief over here who is similarly dying joins in with the crowd. The Jews and the Romans as they deride him, as they make fun of him. Him, the king of the Jews, as we consider that Jesus was crushed by the Father and that he willingly drank the cup of God's wrath that we might drink of the cup of his blessing. As we see these things all the more, we become more thankful for what he's done for us. This is the result of revival. And we see this manifested in our worship and our thanksgiving. Suddenly hymns that have seen old or maybe not sung at all are suddenly loved 
prayers offered at the table only in a ritual form soon take life of their own. Our worship becomes heartfelt. The Lord's table is yearned for and hearts repaired to come to worship. And we all become a little more like Miss Mary Frances Otts who asks upon waking, is today the day we go to church? That we would ask that more often. This last thing, there's one more mark and it's a greater love for others. See, God cannot transform us on the inside and not have an impact on others. There's no such thing as private spirituality, period. There's no such thing. Because if God is really doing a work in our hearts, it will impact how we deal with others. And as the Lord, the Spirit works in our heart, and suddenly the the fruit of the Spirit become more and more evident in our lives, love and joy and peace and patience, as these things become more and more evident in our lives, how does it become evident? It becomes evident as we interact with other people. As people who we didn't like, suddenly we love. As those we hold grudges against, suddenly we have joy when we see them and we have patience when they speak. Suddenly those who seemed unlovable look very lovely because we realize we're the unlovable ones. But Christ has loved us all the more. 1 John 4.20 tells us indeed that if we love God, if we say we love God and don't love others, we lie. We lie. Revival comes and it works in our hearts and we love others and families are changed. My family was changed 1988 or 89. I was four years old. And three people out of four people in my family came to know the Lord. Now that's revival. And, and now I've been called to ministry. My dad is an elder and my brother's a deacon. That's revival. Other believers, our love for other believers is, is enhanced and encouraged, and hospitality is practiced. Old slights are forgiven, and grudges are finally released. The love of, uh, of our Savior extends to those who are lost and do not know Jesus. And people are called out of congregations to go across the street and across the world to tell them about the Savior that we serve and in love. Well, there are threats to revival. We can't force revival. We can't do it. It's a work of the Spirit, but I think in some ways we can inhibit it. We can stymie it with unrepentant sin, conflict between members, the failure to forgive old slights, holding on to old grudges, a secret light of sin. You know, sin is one of those things that we think it just affects us, but it doesn't. To continue our culinary theme this morning, we, we cooked BLTs last night. They were mighty tasty. I'm getting hungry. They were mighty tasty. And you know, usually I fry the bacon. That's the only thing I can do. And I can cut tomatoes too pretty well. But I, I fry the bacon and so I use a, you know, a pan to, to, to fry it up with. But, but last night Lizzie was crying a good bit. So I was holding her. So Christy threw the bacon into her new, um, uh, what's this thing called? Broiler pan, thank you, a broiler pan. Now the thing about bacon is it tastes great, but there are consequences of bacon. The first is it's really hard to clean up. And especially in a broiler pan. I spent 10, 15 minutes on that broiler pan. And then Christy told me this morning it's not even clean. And the second thing is, the first thing you recognize in the morning when you wake up is, oh, we had bacon last night, because you can smell it. Sin's the same way. It may taste good. But just like the grease from the bacon, it clogs our arteries of our relationship with our Lord. And it smells. There's an aroma of sin, even private sin, that we carry around us and affects others in our interaction with them. There are ways that we can inhibit revival 
We also have to beware of Satan. For when you pray for revival, pray equally as hard and even harder for protection from the evil one. For when God works, Satan shows up. So this year as we pray for revival, please pray for revival with me. Pray, pray against the evil one. Pray for protection, especially for the officers of this congregation. And pray for yourself. If you don't know Jesus, maybe today is the day of your revival. If you don't know Jesus, may today be the day of salvation. You don't have to bring anything to know Jesus. You bring your sin. He knows your sin already and he's ready to forgive it. You come to him as you are and he will forgive you of whatever you've done in the past. Whatever you're planning to do, Jesus will forgive you. If you confess your sins, he is faithful and just to forgive you and to cleanse us of all unrighteousness. Let's pray. So Father, as we seek revival, we pray that it'll be done in a way that only you can receive the glory. Work in our midst, Lord. Work in our midst. Send your spirit that we might love you more and more people might love you. In the name of Jesus, we ask it. Amen. Well, to prepare our hearts to come to the Lord's table, let's turn to 196. We'll sing 196, there is a fountain, verses 1 through 3 only. We'll stay seated.